Welcome to Battleground PA, and thank you for listening wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Joyce Davis, opinion editor for Penn Live, and I'm joined today by two political analysts, Democrat Rosette Harris and Republican Jeffrey Lord. In today's podcast, we discuss why Pennsylvania will be a swing state in the 2020 presidential elections. Before we get started, I'd like to urge you to become a subscriber to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at Battleground PA. This is Battleground PA, a Penn Live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Penn Live is launching this weekly podcast leading up to the 2020 presidential election to help our community sort through the complex issues that will propel voters into those polls. Whether left or right, Republican or Democrat or in between, it's important that you be informed. It's important that you really know the issues and know the candidates that will lead our nation for the next four years. We've asked Rajette Harris, a decidedly progressive Pennsylvania Democrat, and Jeffrey Lord, nationally known conservative pundit, to bring their perspectives to Battleground PA. Jeffrey, Rajette, this is as good an opportunity as any for you to tell us a little about yourselves and about what's important, your political perspective. So why don't we start with Jeffrey? Well, let's see. I was sort of a born into a political family, so I've been crawling under Lincoln Day dinner uh, <laughs> tables since I was a child, uh, meeting U.S. senators and governors, et cetera, and uh, having worked my way up through Pennsylvania politics for Congressman Bud Schuster. I started in the state Senate staff. I ran for the legislature and thankfully lost. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that got me to Washington, and I worked my way through the House with Congressman Schuster. I was uh, executive assistant to Senator John Hines and then worked for Drew Lewis, who was uh, a Pennsylvanian, the Republican nominee for governor in 1974, and Ronald Reagan's first secretary of transportation. I worked for him in the Reagan-Bush campaign and then into the White House, the Reagan White House, after that for Jack Kemp, and after that on my own, where I've now sort of uh, developed into a conservative pundit, as they say, (laughs) writing columns for the American Spectator and doing my fair share of television. Well, thank you. That That's a very concise um, a summary of a very distinguished career. Thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thanks. And Rosette, tell us about yourself and your motivations. I actually went to go into psychology originally when I was younger. I was always amazed what makes people do what they do. And in that sense, I guess politics makes sense. Especially now, I turn on the TV and I see Donald Trump and I wonder (laughs) what makes him do and say the things that he does. Um, But it was actually civil rights that got me interested. My mother is a former um, NAACP president. So I have seen her in some of the fights that she uh, went through. So it was those experiences that made me want to get into politics. I was actually the first African-American elected president of the University of Pittsburgh. But what was interesting about that was during the uh, 2000 election, that was the first presidential election I was actually able to vote in a presidential race. Um, So seeing that situation between Bush and Gore 
and actually seeing in my lifetime a Supreme Court decide who the president became, but not the voter. I wondered, why didn't my vote count? That was the first time in my lifetime I saw a president get elected without winning the popular vote. I lived in D.C., went to grad school there. I worked at the DNC during the Kerry Bush election. So that kind of gave me a viewpoint of politics from a national level. Um, So now, currently, um, as a head of the Democrat Party in Dauphin County, I've been involved in politics in all three levels now. And what keeps me involved, again, is trying to implement policies that I feel will impact people's lives in a positive way. All politics is local. So the issues that you argue about that you don't like, you have a say in in who makes those decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you're a policy wonk. <laughs> so that's what they would call you. That's, that's very good. Well, look, both of you are eminently qualified to debate and to argue the issues that will be facing us. And just a little about me. I'm just a veteran journalist. I've been around the world working uh, in many different places and for many different news organizations. And now I'm here with Penn Live. I've also had a little dabbling in politics, working as communications director for the city, but so glad to be here leading this discussion of Battleground PA. So you will hear regularly from Jeffrey and Rajette on Battleground PA, and we'll bring in other analysts from time to time as well to explore some of the most controversial topics we know will shape the 2020 campaigns. Now, I ask you to please subscribe to join us each week on Battleground PA. And now we're going to get started with our title topic, Understanding Why Pennsylvania is Going to Be Key in the 2020 Presidential Elections. We'll stop right here to take a break, but we will come back and get started with Rajette and with Jeffrey discussing why Pennsylvania is going to be a battleground state. Jeffrey, Rajat, here we go. Why is this election going to be fought out right here in Pennsylvania soil? Well, for one reason, um, we're the fifth largest state in the country. So we have 20 electoral votes that could make a huge difference. In 2016, if Hillary would have won Pennsylvania and just one other state, we would be in a very different situation right now. Even in the media, they're even talking about the importance of Pennsylvania. We've already seen a ton of candidates here um, that continue to come repeatedly. Here in Dauphin County, Secretary Julian Castro came to Dauphin County to be our keynote speaker um, because he knew how important uh, this state would be. I just read in the Patriot News just the other day that Erie County, Luzerne, Northampton, Berks, Lackawanna, and even Dauphin County uh, could almost decide Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania could ultimately decide the election. Now, Dauphin County was one of only 11 counties that went for Hillary Clinton in 2016, and she only won Dauphin County by around 3,000 votes. Um, So, you know, that could easily flip either way. And one thing I can say as a Democrat is I think a lot of people took 2016 for granted, and um, we're not this year. So you're prepared for battle. Yes. Right. <laughs> Jeffrey, how about you? Are you prepared? Me too. <laughs> right. Me too. Well, I actually think one of the reasons Pennsylvania has become so important is because the Republican Party missed its opportunities. I remember, not to date myself, but going to the 1976 Republican Convention 
in Kansas City, which was the famous showdown between Ronald Reagan and then-President Gerald Ford. And Ford represented the moderate wing of the GOP, Reagan the conservative wing. It was a real battle. And my Pennsylvania Republican elders, Senator Hugh Scott and Elsie Hillman, the sort of legendary National Committee woman, and others kept saying, well, we have to support Ford because only a moderate Republican can win Pennsylvania. So, of course, the Pennsylvania delegation, which, and it was interesting because Reagan made a play for Pennsylvania. The head of the Ford campaign in Pennsylvania was Drew Lewis, my future boss. His best friend in life was U.S. Senator Dick Schweiker. And Reagan made a play by announcing right before the convention decided that if nominated, he would pick Schweiker wow. <laughs> as his running mate. It was incredible. And the real reason was he wanted to get Drew Lewis and the Pennsylvania delegation to put him over the top. Lewis hung in there for Ford. It sort of did real damage to his friendship with Schweiker. Uh, Reagan lost. And then Ford went on to lose Pennsylvania and the country. <laughs> so four years later, it was sort of the same argument with George Bush and People didn't pay attention this time. And uh, Ronald Reagan was not only nominated, he carried Pennsylvania. And then four years later, he carried it again. And then his vice president running on the Reagan record carried it again in 1988. Then the party went to this moderate Republican stance, and they managed every single four years after that until 2016 to lose Pennsylvania. And my belief was by then that Donald Trump was the only Republican candidate who could carry Pennsylvania. And this sort of set the stage here because I was on CNN at the time and they kept talking about uh, the blue wall, the blue wall. And Pennsylvania was a central part of the blue wall. Well, you know, Donald it collapsed. Trump, it collapsed. <laughs> Donald Trump was coming in here and, yeah. draw, you know, at these rallies and drawing tens of thousands of people. And sure enough, by narrow margin, he carried Pennsylvania. And I think he's well positioned to do it again. But that's basically been the Republican Party's fault, that they kept putting up candidates well, that yeah, had no appeal. That, that's interesting that you said, because when I'm hearing that, it's really sounding like you're saying Pennsylvania needs extremists. They don't need they don't want moderates. They want people who are extreme. I mean, is that what we're saying or not? Well, I don't think Donald Trump is an extremist, you see. Okay. As a matter of fact, there are plenty of conservatives who will tell you they don't think he's a conservative. I do, based on his, you know, knowing him a bit, having gotten to know him a bit, and, and seeing his policies. But, I mean, an extremist is in the eye of the beholder. I, no, no, but you, it's simply because you were saying they did, the moderates of the Republican right. Party did, and, but Donald Trump did, so it I would it I would call him like a conservative. I would say okay. that there's conservative appeal to, to working okay. folks in Pennsylvania, which is exactly what Ronald Reagan had, union members, et cetera. Bridget, go ahead. Donald Trump is whatever he needs to be at the time to be able to get what he wants. As we all know, he used to be a Democrat, he's independent, he's Republican. I also want to bring up one of the points you made with 2016, that turnout was actually lower in Pennsylvania than in previous years. If the Democrats, if we would have had the turnout that we had in 2012 and especially 2008 when President Obama ran, we would have won overwhelmingly. And we still have those demographics that propelled President Obama over the finish line in Pennsylvania. But a lot of people took it for granted. You know, I hear a lot. The current president and the Republican Party said, oh, the lamestream media, the media is biased against Trump, the media, media, media. But they actually helped, in my opinion, get 
Trump elected back in 2016 because he was the fun one. His rallies were more interesting. He didn't talk about policy. I truly believe I'm still living in a reality TV show. I hope ends. Well, he, he, he is November. He is and you and I are the, are the new co-stars. <laughs> but hey, why don't we wait here? Because I know we don't want to delve right into whether we like or dislike the, the current president. But here's let's talk a little bit now about has anything changed in Pennsylvania since 2016? I mean, we're looking at demographic changes. People are saying maybe Pennsylvania is really uh, going back to blue. I don't know. Tell me, what do you see? Do you see anything different demographically with the voters between 2020 and 2016? Well, one of the things I noticed to to pick up on Rochette's point um, about enthusiasm, I I took a look at the county by county returns for 2016 and and for the Republicans and compared them to 2008 and 2012 and 2004. And in every single, almost every single case, Donald Trump was scoring three, four, five, seven points ahead of Romney or McCain or Bush. And that's what I call the enthusiasm factor for him that is, I think, unusual. And I've seen it. Is it still? Uh, up cl- still oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've been to two events, one in my own Cumberland County and one in Allentown. And boy, these people are revved up and ready to go. I mean, they are truly energized. And the, and the irony, we mentioned the media, they really do think the media is after him. And it has, the, it, it, I think this is backfiring at this point, that they are so, you know, they'll turn on CNN or MSNBC or whatever and see them going after him and they get revved. Is I don't know how else to put it. So right, I really right. think that's going to play a role in this. Well, Rajat, what do you, do you see anything different between, I mean, do you see people, do you see things the same way that Jeffrey does? <laughs> <laughs> Let me take a wild guess here. <laughs> Well, the first thing that I would pick up on as far as it backfiring, it obviously hasn't. The Democrat Party here in in Pennsylvania, we've won, actually nationwide, we've won most of the special elections, especially last year in 2018. We won most of our special elections on not just the congressional level, but also on the state level. So, and even in 2018, uh, President Trump himself said, this is a referendum on me. You know, you're voting for me. And people obviously voted against him. Um, so if that's an indication, then I, <laughs> I'm all for it. I don't think it is. Let's, let's keep going. But to get back to your question about the demographics, you know, Pennsylvania, we're losing population somewhat, but we're also growing older. In some parts of the state, particularly here in the mid-state, we're actually growing more democratic. Uh, you live here in Cumberland County. I'm sure you've seen the articles that Cumberland County has a majority democratic voter registration now, which is the first time in years. Governor Wolf won Cumberland County uh, last year when he ran for governor. So it seems like from the mid-state to Philly, population is growing, and I would argue getting more Democratic. Now, obviously, when you go out toward West, things are different. And that's why turnout, in my opinion, is going to be key next year. Um, I'm not saying that the president can't rerun Pennsylvania. That's why I said earlier, we need to fight to make sure that doesn't happen. We now see that he can. Um, but I do think that demographics could be in our favor, um, depending on who our candidate is and how we campaign. Well, let me add, both of you have talked a lot about Trump. And so I'm going to ask you now, I mean, what is really this campaign going to be about? Is it really about this one man or 
in Pennsylvania, are there real issues that people are caring about and that they're going to want to see which candidate speaks to those issues? Yeah. Let me give you just one example. We have Democratic candidates, the leading ones, who are all vowing to put an end to fracking. We have, as I look at the statistics, 30 of 67 counties that between them have almost 8,000 active fracking wells. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs here. And you've got Democratic candidates promising to put them out of work. Mm. I think that that... That was a mistake before. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I think that is... And so without question, the president is going to jump on that. And he'll also stick to the larger, you know, socialism theme, et cetera. I don't have any doubt of that. Between that and the media and an energy issue here in Pennsylvania, I think he's going to be very effective. So it's still going to be jobs, jobs, jobs. Always. Right. right. Just just for history's sakes, it's always jobs. You know, unless we're involved in a, God forbid, a nuclear war, it's always jobs. I mean, people's first concern is, you know, educating their kids and, you know, paying the freight, et cetera, et cetera, getting the rent paid. Having a good job—that that is always it. Do you, you agree? Uh, it's jobs or the economy, or is there are there other things that are going to be at play? We conducted a survey this past summer. It was informal, but we conducted a survey to see what are some of the biggest issues facing um, not just the United States but Pennsylvania specifically. Um, Pennsylvania, the number one issue was raising the minimum wage. So obviously that deals with jobs, but. I think when we talk about jobs, we need to talk about the quality of the jobs that are being created. You might have a job, you might have two or three, but is that enough for you to take care of your children, send them to proper schools? Uh, student loan debt obviously is huge. I myself have student loan debt. Many of us do. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting when we go to some of these events, some of our current candidates, when you see their age and they're still talking about paying off their student loan debts, it's not, it's not something <laughs> yeah. that you want to hear. I'm um, done. <laughs> um, you have uh, students who graduate from school, and it's not that they want to move back home, but they have a job, but they can't afford to purchase a house on their own. So I think when we talk about jobs, we need to talk about the quality. You know, Richard, on that point, the, I will say this, too, and I'd like to, the United Way has come out with this, I think, as called ALICE, this program that high highlights, while people do have jobs, there's still one level below, above poverty, that one catastrophe sinks them down. Do you think that's at all going to be that people who are really working poor or working very low middle class, are they at all, is there any anger, any frustration, or are they content with where they are? There's frustration, but unfortunately, that's the largest group of people that don't realize the value of their vote. And they're less likely to vote. As we all know, um, homeowners, those who have more means are more likely to vote more regularly than those who don't. And that's not always their fault. They might have a job where they have to work 10 hours. You know, I would love to see Pennsylvania have early voting and other type of policies such as that to make it easier for people to vote. And that's why we need to elect people who will implement those type of policies. Jeffrey, do you think this is going to be an issue at all? And the other thing I wanted to throw out to you, what if these economists are right and we're looking at a recession headed this way? What, what about that? Well, presidents never do well in recessions. President Carter, oh, yeah. <laughs> as I vividly remember, didn't do well. And uh, to, to touch on something that Rosette touched on earlier, off year, you know, 2018, 1982, Ronald Reagan got absolutely 
had his clock cleaned in 1982 in congressional elections because his economic program had passed, but it hadn't kicked in. So the Democrats pummeled. I mean, I went back and looked, and I remember Democratic candidates, Rosette, would would have the cameras following them as they worked unemployment lines. <laughs> it was very effective, and they won. But the program did kick in in early 1983, and for all of 1983, 1984, the economy was roaring along, and Ronald Reagan carried 49 states. So that's sort of the qualifier here, is that these off-year elections throughout history, President Obama got clobbered, President Clinton, President Reagan, President Bush 41. I mean, this is just sort of a norm here. So the presidential election is, is different. And one other thing about student debt. I think this can be a sleeper issue in this sense. Everybody's talking about student debt. Nobody's talking about big education and how big colleges and universities. I mean, why in the world is it so expensive to go to college in the first place? What is it that these colleges are doing that is putting kids in debt forever and a day. I mean, there's got to be some questioning of how this that's happens. A good, that's a very good point. I can tell you, I talked to kids who basically actually traveled to Europe on loans. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, so it's a point that it's, it's like we've lost our way in just letting these, these young people who don't have very good judgment in loans simply, you know, basically barter their future. There. Right. Right. So anyway, but, but we're getting off on the tangent. Here's the last question that I want to throw out at you. And I saved the tough one for last. Uh Uh-oh. Okay? Everybody's word. I I particularly, I like civility. I like niceness. I like people to be be respectful. Is this campaign going to bring us really down into the gutter? Come on, guys. Help me here. What's (laughs) going to happen? We're going to have a great time. (laughs) No, but really, I'm concerned about, and I think many people are concerned. We want a good Hard fight, just like here. You guys have battled back and forth. But are the candidates prepared to have dignity, to, to really have a race that we can all be proud of, even though the, the issues have been hard fought? I think our primary is showing that. Um, I'll use the examples of Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are very similar with their issues. On the debate stage, they haven't attacked each other in that sense. Um, I think on our side, we will fight, but we will fight with dignity. Um, Now, I'm sure Jeffrey would disagree (laughs) with me, but I see nothing civil about the current president at all. Um, He's already starting with calling people names, Sleepy Joe, Pocahontas. (laughs) There's a slew of them. I I don't see any civility on his side. But at the same time, we've been going through that for four years. Um, As uh, former First Lady Michelle Obama said, when they go low, we go high. So that's something that we as a party will have to do as we move forward. At the same time, we have to let the voters know that we will fight for them and vote for the issues that they care about the most. So there is a balance and fine line. I think some of this is the eye of the beholder. You talk to an average Republican and what they and I asked Donald Trump about this uh, once I interviewed him in 2014 when he before he was running for president. And I said to him, there are a lot of Republicans who feel that Democrats are always coming after them, calling them racist, sexist, homophobes, xenophobes, Islamophobes, whatever, whatever. This has been going on for decades in one way or another. Advertisements that show Paul Ryan pushing granny off the cliff and all this. and they feel that their nominees don't fight back. Will you fight back? 
to which, and I have this somewhere still on tape, his essence was an answer, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'll fight back. I'll give it right back to them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And believe me, having talked to, had my share of conversations with average grassroots Republicans, they love it. They think this is what Jeffrey, fight back looks really like. they really love, they really do love the, the, the atmosphere that's being, honestly, and you're comfortable with some of the name calling and well, some of, because well, honestly, most people, many people. But Joyce, my, my point is yeah. that, that Republicans think that this has been played on them over and over and over again. They're not racist. So they're do not unto homo- others what they do unto you. They're not homophobes. <laughs> okay, they're not xenophobes, right. et cetera, et cetera. But this is what, I mean, I remember as a kid watching Barry Goldwater be called a racist and a liar, and he, he's a madman, and he wants to plunge the country into nuclear war and all of this kind of stuff. This has been going on for decades, and they just genuinely feel that Donald Trump is willing to dish back what is dished to them on a routine basis. But you see a lot of Republicans, not all, but you do have some finally starting to come out and speak against that. You even have a Republican in Congress who changed his party registration and independent because of some of the rhetoric. I know Republicans as well who might um, like Trump's policies, but they don't like his Twitter account. (laughs) And, you know, calling someone a silly name is different than allowing people at a rally um, chanting to send Americans home to ask a president to show their birth certificate as if they're not an American citizen. That's that's so, an old deal. You know that, right? I know it's an old deal, but these are all things. It shows a pattern. And when I when I say old deal, I mean, you go back to 1880 and the presidential campaign, the Republican vice presidential candidate, Chester Allen Arthur, said that he was a New Yorker, but he had been born in Vermont and a Democratic operative by the name of Arthur Hinman said, no, he wasn't. He was born in Canada. He's not an American citizen. Arthur was elected. And about six, seven months later, President Garfield was shot and he became president. And Hinman wrote this little book that there was a subject of Queen Victoria's in the White House. It was birtherism. But he only does it to people of color. We only see this but, happen to people of color. No, I'm well, specifically talking about the current president. Yeah, but I mean, this is old as history. This was played against Rutherford, uh, not Rutherford, that Chester make it Allen. Right. Uh, well, it was done against Barry Goldwater because he was born in the territory of Arizona and not the state of Arizona. Mitt Romney's father, George, was born in Mexico of Mormon parents, and they played this card against him. John McCain was born in the Panama Canal Zone, and they played this card against him. I mean, this has been played regularly with white candidates, all of whom, not coincidentally, in my view, happen to be Republicans. I don't agree with it, to be perfectly candid. I think Barack Obama was born in Hawaii in August of 1961. But to say that it's a a race card playing thing, I simply don't agree because that's not the record of it. The president has been targeting people of color since his campaign from the very beginning. So if, you know, if Republicans... Ben Carson would disagree. (laughs) If Republicans want to claim freedom of speech, that's fine. But then people have the right to call a spade a spade. If you want uh, people to stop saying that um, the president is inciting racism in the country, then he needs to stop targeting people people of color. Well, we're gonna, um, this, we're gonna this is going to be a very long conversation. No, no, we're going to have a discussion at some point on the issues of, right, of race right. relations because it honestly it is an issue that, sure. that we have to delve with, and the perceptions are there that that we have to deal with. But I think the point is well made here at this table 
We are going to engage in some really difficult discussions, but we're not going to name call. And I know you, Jeffrey, and I can hope I, you Can I call your, her a Democrat? You can call her a Democrat. I even called her a policy once. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, is that we want to set an atmosphere here that we hope will be replicated yeah. on the campaign. So with that. Or we're all in it together. Or one we, way or or the we're other. all in the gutter together. Exactly. So with I'll that. we it together for four, three years. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here we go. So thank you both for joining me on this this inaugural discussion of Battleground PA. And I look forward to having some more difficult discussions with you, but also enlightening discussions for our readers in the very, very near future. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion and editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. For more info and past episodes, visit us at battlegroundpa.org.